You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jesse Rosette titled, Let the Children Come. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Creekside. Good morning to everyone online as well. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to see you all. Hold on, I'm going to raise this a little bit. Um, I'm super excited to be here this morning. Um, If you haven't met me yet, my name is Jesse Rosette. I'm the youth pastor here at Creekside. So, hello. (laughs) Um, My wife, oh, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. This is my first Sunday speaking here. So, I'm super stoked, but just a little bit about me. My wife and I moved here uh, a little over five months. I think we're getting close to our six-month mark. Um, We moved from Central Oregon, a little town called Bend. Um, Yeah, and we've loved living in Martinez. This is a wonderful little community, and we have loved becoming a part of this church family. You're all incredible people, and have just welcomed us with such open arms. Uh, Anyways, I am so excited to get into the Word with you this morning. So, before we get started, let's take just a moment to pray and ask God to be here with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Sunday morning when we get to gather together as a family, Lord. And so I pray for uh, other churches who are gathering in, in our country and uh, in, in the world, Lord, whether it's uh, in the safety of a, of a home or in a church building or in a place where it is unsafe to be gathering, Lord. We pray for blessing and provision and that your truth would be made known. Um, Lord, through this week and going into this, this holiday weekend, Lord, we pray for, for safe travel as we pray that we would begin to kind of slow down as we are kind of finishing the last little bits of summer and headed into this school year, Lord. Would you be with us? Would you be made known and would you be glorified through your people? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to be talking about children this morning. Uh, which makes sense. I'm a youth pastor, uh, and you know I, I help out in the kids' ministry, so I mean, this is obviously what I would go to, right? Uh, specifically, I'm going to talk about why children are so important to Jesus. And I mean, who, who better to speak on children than uh, someone who still looks like one, right? <laughs> Despite the way that I look, I am actually an adult. I have been for you know at least a few years at this point. But you, but you may be thinking, even so, you may be thinking, how can you talk to us about children? You don't even have any of your own. Well, you'd be right, but I have an announcement to make. No, I'm just kidding. We're not pregnant. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I just thought that'd be fun. Uh, especially my, my family might be tuning in, so that probably gave them a bit of a scare. No, we're not pregnant. We heard that there's something in the water here at Creekside. So we were told when we came down that whenever Creekside hires anybody new, they get pregnant within like their first year. So we've been importing water from Oregon because we're not interested. Not, not yet, not yet. Someday, but not yet. Anyways, <laughs> I may not have children of my own, but I am one of eight kids. I've got seven other siblings, five sisters and two brothers. Uh, and funny story, that was a really cool fact about me until I met Dustin Warford. Eight's not a lot when you talk to that guy. <laughs> I met Dustin about a year and a half ago up in uh, Portland for a, a Discovery Ministry School intensive weekend. And uh, we were going around the room and we were introducing ourselves and we were supposed to kind of, we had like 60 seconds and we had to give as many fun facts or interesting things about us as possible. 
And, you know, well, people normally react when I say, oh, I have seven siblings. They go, wow, big family. Wow, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah, we're all homeschooled. Like, oh, that's nuts. Uh, but Dustin went first. <laughs> His fun fact is what? He's he, one of 15, I think, something like that, right? Yeah, it's a, that's a lot more than eight. <laughs> so my fun fact is not as interesting anymore. Thank you, Dustin. Uh, who in you grew up in a big family or currently has like a big family, like a lot of kids? Raise a hand. Not a whole lot of you. Okay. Or is mine. All right. Well, well, let me enlighten you. There's some things that come with the territory of being a part of a big family, of being around a lot of children. Um, so for those of you who are parents of a bunch of kids or who grew up with a bunch of other siblings, you probably know about this kind of a, a, a trick. Uh, it was my parents' favorite, I, I, I believe. Once your oldest kids get older, uh, they can now take care of the younger kids. Yeah? Brilliant strategy on parents' part. Absolutely. Makes sense. It's a bummer if you are one of the older kids, though, which I am. Uh, all, all you parents have to do is you, you just take care of the older ones, and then when they're old enough, you just make them do what you don't want to do. <laughs> or at least that's what, that's what I felt like growing up. It was like my parents, they just, they've raised me, I'm a slave, you know. Uh, I feel differently now, but that is how I, that's how I believe it. And it was like, oh yeah, I don't want to change a diaper, don't want to take out the trash, don't want to clean up the little ones, we'll just make the older kids do it, that's fine. Um... But now, being older, being an adult, I can't wait for the day when I have a couple of kids and Brooke says, hey, Jesse, can you take out the trash? And I go, sure, and then just pass it off to somebody else, just a little Jesse Jr. Like, you're, you get the trash, you can take it, you're, that's fine. You know, that's great. That, that's, that makes sense. I don't blame parents for doing this. Honestly, it's the logical thing to do. You're, a bit, you're busy, I'm sure. You've got things to do. Someone needs to do it, and they live in your house for free, right? <laughs> I learned early, though, well, there, there's things that you learn being a part of a big family. So I learned early that when you, whenever you enter a room, uh, you give it the smell check first. Because if there's someone in there with a dirty diaper, one of you is probably going to be cleaning it. So it was like whoever smelt it dealt it, but it's whoever smelt it cleans it <laughs> with me and my siblings. So I actually got really good at walking in, giving it a sniff, and just turning around <laughs> at a hiding place. Uh, didn't always get out of it, but it, it was worth a shot. I'm second eldest in my family. They're about 14 years between me and my youngest sister, Sophie. She's eight years old. Um, and I've been able to watch the youngest siblings grow up. In large families, they seem to attract other large families. So my friends uh, always had siblings as well. And uh, so all that to, be, to say, I don't have children of my own, but I believe I have some qualifications that allow me to speak about them because I've spent so much time around children. And as some of you may have guessed, I'm not very far removed from being one just yet. <laughs> so anyways, this morning, I want to talk about why Jesus valued children so much. We're going to look at three specific things in Scripture that we'll that we focus on a little bit more than some of these others, but three specific things that will hopefully give us a little more insight and remind us what it is like to be a child. So Jesus makes it very clear that there is something important about children. In Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, this is not one of my points here, but I want to talk about that phrase, kingdom of heaven, because it's kind of specific to the gospel of Matthew, and I just, I thought this was fascinating, but I also know that that phrase can 
be a little bit confusing. So I wanted to, to speak to that first. So the word heaven is in there. So my first assumption was, oh, that's just that he- the kingdom of heaven. That's the place we go to when we die, right? That's heaven. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the afterlife. That's heaven. But if you read Matthew in entirety, you'll see that that can't be what it means just by the way that it's used. Uh, the phrase kingdom of heaven is used in Matthew over 30 times. So, so John the Baptist said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the disciples were commissioned by Jesus to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven was near. And Jesus taught many parables about the kingdom of heaven, using the specific phrase kingdom of heaven. So what is it? This is what Jesus had come to establish. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. And it's, it's just speculated that Matthew chose to use the word heaven here instead of saying the kingdom of God. He wanted to use the word heaven to emphasize that this was not a physical kingdom that Jesus was bringing. It was and is a spiritual kingdom that starts with believers and through them infects the rest of the world, right? So this is, this is an important thing. Uh, so, so remember this as we're going through this message. This kingdom of heaven theme is incredibly important. So the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is where God has rule. And as Christians, we are the kingdom of God. If he has rule in your life, if you obey the Lord, then you are part of the kingdom of heaven. And since the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like the children then we need to be like the children. Everyone has a different story. Absolutely, we all have different places that we've come from. And we've all come to the knowledge of Christ in our own different ways. So at a time, even after maturing and growing up, we have been like children. And in many ways, more than one, you have to be like a child to truly see There are certain qualities that a child possesses. They have an an, an innocence, a a purity, a softness of heart that comes with someone who hasn't been in this world too long yet. And it's these qualities that make them so special. Without these things, though, for us, it can become difficult to relate to and understand God as we come to him. You've almost likely heard the phrase childlike faith before, right? Childlike faith. The faith of a child is so precious, but it is not blind. A lot of the time when people say, oh, I have childlike faith, what they seem to be implying is that I just don't question things. I just have childlike faith. I just believe. But that's not really how kids do it. If you've spent any time around kids around the age of three, you'll know they ask a lot of questions, especially why. Why? Why? They want to know. They're curious and they ask. So their faith, it's not blind. But the beautiful thing about their faith is that they listen and that they're willing to believe. It's important that we teach our children about Jesus in the Bible. They understand so much more than we tend to give them credit for. You know, so if, if, you're, if you're taking your kid through the Bible... I mean, maybe if there's some places, you know, you probably don't really want to talk about sexual sin with a three-year-old yet. But there are a lot of these Bible stories that we tend to kind of censor and put them into children's book form. You know, they will understand more than you give them credit for if you just take the time to explain and walk them through it. Let them ask their questions. So in, in that verse that we read, Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so by that logic... How can the kingdom of heaven belong to us if we were not like them? 
The problem for us comes when we stop being like them and we forget what it is like to be a child. So, what is it about children that makes them like ones who the kingdom of heaven belongs to? What makes them so important to Jesus? It's this. Children represent how we come to and relate to God. That's kind of its simplest form. Children represent how we come to and relate to God. So it's not just a good idea or something to work a little harder on. We really need to be like children. I'm going to keep nailing that hammer on the head as we go through this because that's the main point here. We need to be like the little children. So, So the first thing, the first thing I wanted to talk about is humility. The humility of a child. So let's look at Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So when Jesus says to become like a child, he's not talking about intellect. He's not talking about carelessness or carefreeness necessarily even. He's not really talking about their attitude either. It's about the position that a child has in the world. That's why he says whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest, the position. So we see in this context of the scripture that Jesus is talking about humility since this is his response when the the disciples ask, who is the greatest? Jesus is the one who takes this lowly position. Now, I've met some kids that have no shame. (laughs) I'm sure you have too. They walk into the room and they just own the place. It doesn't matter where it is. Not a lot of humility there. (laughs) But even so, they're small, Right? They, they tend to not be very strong, you know, if you want to feel good about yourself, you know, arm wrestles, you'll probably win. Uh, they've not lived as long as the rest of us, and they aren't very important. I tended to get some more pushback on that one. They aren't very important? No, I'm sorry. What I mean by that, parents, your children are very important, but what I mean by that is that, we you know, we don't uh, elect children to run our government, <laughs> We don't hire CEOs to run our companies. And if I need help with my marriage, I'm not going to go to a five-year-old for advice. So in this respect, in this position that they have, they are humble. They're still learning. They haven't been around as long as the rest of us. And children up to a certain age, they don't have to work at or try to be humble like the rest of us do or need need to. They just are because it's just the position that they have in the world as they grow. They learn pride later on, just like the rest of us do. The disciples wanted to know which of them would be the greatest. We look at this now and we think, man, how conceited can they be? Are you kidding me? They're with Jesus right now and they're arguing over which one of them is the most important. Can someone say pride check? It uh, it seems mind-boggling. And so we realize that we do this, don't we? In small ways here and there, we flex just a little bit to prove that we, we have the knowledge or we have the experience or, or we have the superiority. And we, we all have our ways that we do this, but the point is we all do it. For instance, 
I'll just I'll pick on myself. I do this with, uh, with, with, with odd trivia. I don't know why, but it gives me such a rush <laughs> to know something that somebody else doesn't, even if it's the dumbest thing in the world. Like, oh, sorry, you wanted to know uh, the word used to describe the phobia of, or the, the fear of long words? Yes, hippopotamontius squipedaliophobia. I, re- I said that without reading it because I actually memorized that because I think it's hilarious. The fear of long words is hippopotamontius squipedaliophobia. That's 36 letters. Uh, yeah, whatever, no biggie. Uh, oh, you want to know what, what number is considered bad luck for the Chinese? It's number four. It sounds like their word for death. Yeah, you know, save that for later. Could win you trivial pursuit. Uh, <laughs> But pride check, no one cares. <laughs> right? They're just useless, fascinating trivia. <laughs> or maybe it's a, it's, it could be something that's a little bit closer to home. That's a little bit more personal. You know, like uh, something you're really good at and you love doing, but there's this seed of pride that can take root. <laughs> like, hey, you did great leading worship this morning. No, that wasn't me. <laughs> It was all God. <laughs> I'm just here. You know, I'm just an instrument of the Lord. Pride check. Just say thank you. <laughs> this isn't, a, this isn't a picking on anybody. Again, these are issues that I've had to deal with as I've learned and developed. False modesty is almost worse than, than outright pride. <laughs> or sometimes it's, it's a little more internal and subtle where we compare ourselves to others. You know, I may not be the best Christian, but, you know, at least I don't yell at my kids on the way to church. At least I I show up to church on time. You know, may not be the best Christian, but I memorize the Lord's Prayer. You know, whatever that means. Or, you know, at least I don't speed on the highway. Whatever it is, I'm just a little better than you. (laughs) These little things that we have, they begin to put distance between us. It's us trying to separate ourselves and say, look at me, I'm more important we should be spurring each other on, though, shouldn't we? But we tend to look for how we can get ahead instead. But here's the thing. The kingdom of heaven is made up of those who think less of themselves and more of others, who choose the lowly position. It's less about gain and more about growth, less about title and more about the towel. Thank you, Pastor George. We could stand to have a little more childlike humility. Second, the reason children are so important to Jesus is because of their dependence. It's the way that they depend. It's what they depend on. In Matthew 19, when Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This passage, this little, this verse is immediately followed by the story of a rich young man who came to ask Jesus what thing he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. The story is found in Matthew 19, uh, verses 16 through 22. I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you guys. That's Matthew 19, 16 through 22. So the man addresses Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus knows this man is really asking what he needs to do to earn eternal life. You know, that's, that's you know, what do I need to do? So Jesus tells him, if you want to earn eternal life, If you want to earn eternal life, you need to keep God's commandments. And Jesus gives him, uh, he lists a few from the Ten Commandments. And the man replies, all these I have kept. 
I don't believe him. That would mean he would have to be perfect. And the only perfect one is the one he's talking to. But he says, all of these I have kept. What still do I lack? I've kept the law, but there's still something missing. What more do I need? I'm missing peace. I'm missing rest. And I want eternal life. But something isn't there. What do I need to do? See, now we're getting to the root of the problem here. This is what Jesus was getting at. There's something else holding him back. So Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and follow me. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, follow me. And as we know, if you read the story, the young man goes away sad because he had great wealth. You know, God, I'll do anything, but not that. You know, God, that, that's kind of my thing. That's what I rely on. That's how I live. So it's really this, it's a really sad story that he leaves. So no, Jesus is not condemning people who have money, but for this particular young man, his riches had become an obstacle. It had become a barrier between him and that eternal life. His earthly treasure was where his heart was. It wasn't in heaven. It wasn't with Jesus. So we see this contrast now between the little children and the, the rich young man. The, the biggest difference between these two is what they depend on. Children are completely dependent on their parents from day one. With, without mom and dad, they would die, right? They're dependent for food, for clothes, for education, a place to stay, street smarts, community, love, all of these things. Children need to survive and they cannot do it on their own. And God wants us to come to him daily with our needs because he is our provider. There's nothing to gain if we don't need God. That's the issue. He didn't think he needed anything. He didn't necessarily think he was missing something, even though he was asking. You can't gain something if you don't need something. But if we could do this all on our own, we would. And I mean, we try. The rich young man was dependent on no one, and so he needed nothing. He was comfortable. He enjoyed his wealth, but even he knew there was something missing, and that's why he went to Jesus in the first place. But even so, he couldn't see how giving away his wealth would fill the hole that was inside. He missed the fact that complete dependence on God would bring him exactly what he was looking for. It wasn't a trick. The truth is surrender to and dependence on God is actually true freedom. We know this, right? I hope so. <laughs> this is how we're meant to relate to our Heavenly Father. Without God, we are hopeless and helpless. But with Him, we have everything that we need. Even if we lack earthly things, He provides for us. This is the position of the child. All they can do is rely on their parents because they've got no, nothing else. They've got, no, they've got nobody else. They've got nothing else. But we try to take matters into our own hands. There are so many examples in the Bible of people who did not fully trust or depend on God. Adam and Eve, they wanted to define good and evil for themselves. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to do it their way. Sarah and Abraham decided to make God's promise happen on their own terms and in their own time. The Israelites, after leaving Egypt, constantly complained and disobeyed the Lord, resulting in their 11-day journey lasting 40 years in the desert. Wouldn't it be better to just believe that God has our best interests at heart? Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow because God knows what we need. Easier said than done, I know. 
It's like just saying, yeah, be good. That's it. Amen. See you guys next week. <laughs> but let's not let our materials, possessions, or even our opinions become an obstacle to our freedom and purpose in Christ Jesus. We have to humble ourselves and be willing to be dependent. So the, the third thing here, the most important thing, is relationship. The relationship between us and God. Because here's the truth. You are a child of God. That's something that we have the right to be called now. 1 John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This needs to become one of those verses that changes our mindsets, that sets the standard in our minds. We need to remember, we need to remember that we are children of God. Something that I've heard PT say before is that Jesus is not about behavior modification. But if your behavior is not changing, there may be something wrong. You may need to take a second look at what exactly your relationship is with Jesus. To become a child of God, you have to receive him and believe in his name. In order to do that, you do have to humble yourself and recognize your need for him. So it's not about behavior modification. It's not just about like becoming a better person. You don't just add a little humility here and splash a kindness over there and you, know, you donate some money over here. It's about being a part of the family of God. And in being a part of the family of God, you will begin to change. There are things that come about because of this new name that we have, because of this family that we're now a part of. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who come to God like a child that comes to their father. Once you do that, you are given the right to become a child of God. About our adoption into God's family, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received, it does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, I don't have time to completely unpack all that is in those four verses. But what a beautiful, incredible passage of scripture that lays out this beautiful opportunity, this beautiful new reality for us. And actually, I'm going to encourage you to return to the scripture throughout this next week, to just come back to it and meditate it and chew on it and let that become that change of mind. The main thing that I want to communicate to you is that we belong to the family of God. It's not just a show. It's not just a thing that Christians say. We have been adopted into the family of God and in the kingdom of God, our father is the king. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, 
and he leads you, then you are that child. You are a child of God. Shouldn't that change our mindset, though? Honestly, shouldn't that do something? If we woke up every morning with the realization that we are sons and daughters of the living God, what would we do differently? I'll be honest, I don't wake up every morning with that thought, and I want to because I want that to become my reality, but what would we do differently? How would we act How would we speak? How would we spend our time? Who would we reach out to? What would we do differently? How would we use our words and the influence that we have been given, the platforms that we get to stand on with the people that we get to reach out to? What would we do differently if we constantly remembered that we are children of God? When you become a Christian, you're no longer representing yourself. When we were in Tijuana, uh, myself and uh, the rest of the the team, when we went to Tijuana this year, uh, at the end of June, I was able to spend some time with this incredible pastor and missionary named Mike Lombard. And uh, in, in talking about discipleship and growing as a Christian, he said, you're a king's kid. You have to learn to act like one. And that's not a, uh, a put down, but just a reality. You're a king's kid. You have to learn to act like one. I couldn't say it any better. There are things that we need to work on. Absolutely. We all have things. We all have problems. And none of us perfectly represent Christ at all times. But there is grace as we learn. And it comes with all the benefits of personally knowing and serving our Father and King. We have to remember what it is like to be a child though. To have that relationship where we take this lowly position this humble position, and we recognize our dependence, and then we remember that God is our Father. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. He is our Father. Some would even say he's a good, good Father. I can remember as a a young child three years ago. Just kidding. Um... When I was much younger, when I was a, a lot younger, okay, my dad would read books like the Chronicles of Narnia or uh, The Hobbit to me and my siblings, and he, he, would, he would lay down on the, on the living room floor, and we would all come around him with, with pillows so that we could listen to him read. And when I was still very small, I would sometimes uh, lay my head on his chest as he would read, and I would just listen to his voice. And I'd listen to how it would rumble and vibrate as he, he would do voices, uh, and just listening to the sounds of his body, I, I could hear his heartbeat, and I could hear his, his lungs as he breathed. And those are some of my fondest memories with my dad, where I felt the closest to him. And so this is now how I try to think, you know, the way I've kind of rearranged it in my head, this is how I try to think of God our Father. God desires that kind of intimacy with us, his children. That we would be so close that we would hear his words, that we would know his voice, and that we would know his heart. How incredible that God would choose to express his love for us by adopting us into his family. That we would be considered his children. I spent a lot of time in my, in my teens worrying that I would disappoint God or that I was a disappointment to God. It 
just didn't make sense to me how a holy God could forgive and accept someone like me, someone who'd done the things that I'd done. That's the beauty of grace though, isn't it? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you did. All that matters is that God wants you. I'm reminded of the story of the, the prodigal son. You know, this, this young man, he demanded his inheritance from his father. He squandered it on shameful things. And then he lived among pigs. And then he went home to beg to be made a lowly servant in his father's house. But when the father sees him coming over the hill, he runs to him. And he throws his arms around him and he, he welcomes him home. And he gets the best robe and the family ring and they put him on them and they have a feast to celebrate the return of his son. He's welcomed back with wide open arms and joy. The truth is there's nothing that we can do that will make God love us more. But there's nothing that we can do that will make God love us less. He just loves us because he does. Because we're his children. And even if we mess up, we get back up. And he says, let's go. We're going to try again. Some of you may need to return to the Father's house to remember that you are his children. You're here this morning, but you're distant. You did something or something happened to you and you haven't been able to get yourself to come back. But the Father is waiting for you. That's a fact. He's waiting and he will come running as soon as he sees you coming home. For some of you, pride is what's holding you back. It's a real issue. And it's so easy to let it slip in. It's so easy for it to plant itself in our hearts. But rip it out by the roots. Don't let pride be the thing that stops you. And for others of you, you've had, you have a hard time fully depending on the Lord, fully trusting. You've seen him come through before. God has a perfect track record. He's never failed. But whenever hard times come, you may worry that he won't or that it won't turn out the way that you hope. Or maybe it just won't work out this time. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus and find the peace that comes with trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding. Come back to the Father. It sounds difficult, but it's not. He's made it as simple has just come. Come as you are. Come as my child. I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to be here and to, to share what you've put on my heart. And I pray for those who want to come back but feel like there's something stopping them, Lord. I pray just like the way that you addressed the rich young man, Lord, you could draw that out. He said, get rid of your riches because your riches are what is in your way. Lord, whatever it is, would you identify that in us so that we could set it aside and come follow you? If that's pride, Lord, would you tear it out by the roots, God? And if it's trust, Lord, help us to trust in you. Remind us of the times that you've come through and that you have been the perfect good father. 
Teach us to love when you correct us the way that that way that a father does a child, Lord, because we know that what you are doing is good and it is for us and that in the future we will look back and we will say, thank you, God, for not giving up. Thank you, God, for not leaving me the way that I was. Thank you for your outstretched open arms, for letting us come back. Thank you for always being ready for us, even when we're not ready for you. Thank you for your patience and your love, Lord. Just name.